Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Though you may not realize that the ongoing threat of terrorism is affecting your life and that of your loved ones. Each week, Dr. Carroll analyzes the hottest topics in terror and helps you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. You may be on the terrorism watch list and not even know it. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, a psychiatrist and your terrorist therapist. Yes, indeed. Did you ever wonder whether you might be on the terrorism watch list? Well, <laughs> there are lots of people who are. And the subset of this is the no-fly list, uh, which people generally find out about when they are at the airport and are told that they can't get on the plane they're planning on boarding. Well, the reason why we're talking about this today is because there has just recently been a judge who ruled that the terrorism watch list violates your constitutional rights. That is a big deal. Now, it isn't uh, 100%, you know, there's gonna, I'm sure there's going to be lots of back and forth, but this is the first time that a judge has made as broad a ruling as this. His ruling has actually, um, he hasn't finished making his ruling, but this is, a, this is a big deal, and I will bet that you haven't even heard about it. Because things like this, actually, um, an article about it, to be fair, was in the New York Times, and I'm gonna be, and also in Al Jazeera, and also in a few other places, but, but, you know, um, in terms of getting on television and having a lot of, I mean, this is something that everyone should have been made aware of unless they were under a rock. And yet, um, you know, even though it's in a newspaper or on the line, of course, um, many people still don't know about this. And why, why am I making such a big deal out of it? Well, the big deal is that is that the terrorism watch list uh, is the number one or one of the number one means that uh, our government keeps us safe from terrorists. Now, does it sometimes get over-inclusive? And, um, you know, could you make a case? Well, apparently some people did, <laughs> I'll tell you about it, um, for it violating constitutional rights, but if there was no terrorism watch list, or if the way that people got on it, you know, was really obvious and so terrorists could work around it uh, and not be caught, then we would be much less safe. Now, could there be better ways of um, uh, handling the information or handling who gets on and who doesn't? Yes, probably. Um, but to just blatantly say that it violates constitutional rights um, is, is, you know, and, and then what? Call for its abolition? That would make us, uh, and maybe in the process of making us, a lot less safe. So let me tell you about what happened. Um, this is a federal judge from the, his name is uh, Anthony Trenga, and he is from the United States District Court for the Eastern District of Virginia. 
And he just ruled that a federal database that compiles people deemed to be known or suspected terrorists, which is the terrorist watch list, violates the rights of American citizens who are on the watch list. And he's saying it calls into question the constitutionality of this list. So um, it is true that being on this watch list can have lots of repercussions. The one that people know about most is that it restricts people from traveling or entering the country, uh, subjecting them to greater scrutiny at airports and by the police. They can be denied government benefits and contracts and so on. And this judge, um, there was a, a lawsuit filed. I mean, how this came about was a lawsuit was filed by 19 Americans represented by the Council on American Islamic Relations, CARE, which is a very aggressive organization um, trying to, I mean, you know, they present themselves as just looking out for Muslim rights uh, but they, it's more than that. They are much more aggressive than that. I mean, one could not find fault with um, an organization looking out for any minorities' rights, but when you look at their history, they are really a lot more aggressive than just making sure everything is fair. So 19 Americans represented by CARE filed a lawsuit and they charged that their inclusion in the terrorist watch list violated their due process rights. And they talked about being detained and harassed when they were trying to enter the country. They said that they didn't ever receive notice of why they were being put on the list or an opportunity to contest these derogatory claims. I mean, that is one of the things. You know, the government doesn't call you up and tell you that you're on the terrorist watch list. Um, and there's a reason for that, of course, because that would give terrorists, real terrorists, uh, a clue that, you know, they need to do something more to go better undercover or, you know, work to do a workaround. So now, um, Judge Anthony Trenga said, the court concludes that the risk of erroneous deprivation of plaintiff's travel-related and reputational liberty interests is high and the currently existing procedural safeguards are not sufficient to address that risk. I mean, he talks, <laughs> he talks in very, um, very sort of difficult to understand language. Well, I, I'm presuming this was actually written, so uh, you get a chance to reread it. Anyway, he basically, he, he um, agreed with the plaintiffs, represented by CARE, uh, by granting them summary judgment, meaning agreed with them and um, didn't make them have to go to trial to prove their point. So now um, this watch list, let me tell you a little bit more about the watch list. As of 2017, there were about 1.2 million people on the terrorism watch list. The watch list is maintained by the FBI's terrorist screening center. The vast majority of these people were foreigners, but there are 4,600 American citizens on this list. And these 19 Americans who filed suit are apparently American citizens. Um, now, this judge, after granting them summary judgment, 
didn't say, uh, didn't continue, didn't finalize it to say what should happen next. They, he instead asked the Justice Department and the lawyers for the plaintiffs to submit what they think, uh, quote, what kind of remedy can be fashioned to adequately protect a citizen's constitutional rights while not unduly compromising public safety or national security. So he's asking the lawyers for the uh, government and CARE to CARE's lawyers to come up with what should be done for the terrorism watch list. How can it be made to be more, um, you know, not, how can it protect a citizen's constitutional rights and yet at the same time not be dangerous for public security? Well, you know, that's, um, I don't know, should these people, should these lawyers be the ones coming up with the answer to that? It seems to me that that should be a much more in-depth um, discussion or, or research or, you know, um, that perhaps should be done by other people being involved, like people in uh, Congress or certainly the executive office. Um, it, it, the whole thing is really rather strange. So needless to say, CARE um, had a party. I mean, I'm, I'm being facetious, but they, I don't, they probably did have a party, but they were very happy. They called this ruling a complete victory. The executive director of CARE said that the group's, quote, legal team has finally brought an end to the secretive watch list, which is effectively, get this, a Muslim registry created in the wake of the widespread Islamophobia of the early 2000s. Now, notice that um, he says the early 2000s. He doesn't say that it was created after 9-11. It's like Ilhan Omar, who said something happened on 9-11. You know, she, she, who didn't get into, uh, when she was giving a speech, what, uh, what happened on that day. They're, you know, they're trying to like pretend 9-11 wasn't what it was. Um, so, and that this whole secretive watch list, this whole um, terrorism watch list was just something that was created to, um, out of Islamophobia and to persecute Muslims. Well, that, that really, I mean, yes, was it created after 9-11? Yes, because uh, our country was in danger at that time. Was it Muslims, radical Islamists who perpetrated 9-11? Yes. Um, now, it's interesting, this whole thing is interesting, but Judge Tringa, this judge who just made this ruling, was appointed in 2008 by then-President George W. Bush. So George W. Bush would not have anticipated that years later, let's see, 11 years later, that this judge who he appointed would be making this kind of a decision. Well, we need to take a break now. When we come back, I will tell you more about this uh, ruling and more about the watch list and um, about some other ruling he made beforehand that was kind of related to this. He was sort of on a tear to do this kind of thing. And I'm also gonna tell you about um, eight ways that you can end up on the no-fly list, which is a subset of the terrorism watch list. So stay tuned. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show, where we're talking today about the terrorism watch list. And I don't know if I'm making you paranoid about wondering whether you are on it, 
<laughs> I don't want to make you paranoid, but um, but it is true that we people typically do not find out that they are on the watch list until um, they are stopped at the airport or stopped in some other situation where um, being on the watch list uh, prevents you from um, doing that, whatever that is, whatever it is that you are trying to do. Because um, not only, as I was telling you before, not only is it more scrutiny at airports, um, but also you are, if you're on the watch list, of course, you're also susceptible to more scrutiny by the police. You can be denied government benefits and contracts. So it's that kind of thing where you might find out that you are on it. So of course, the big deal today, why I'm talking about it is because a judge uh, has just ruled in this particular case that um, the watch list violates constitutional rights. And he set up the, um, he had the people who were involved in this case, um, government attorneys as well as care, uh, he tasked them with coming up with a solution to how to better, better go about uh, having a watch list that doesn't uh, get people on it who aren't dangerous and yet that protects public safety, which is a very, very um, complex, uh, difficult kind of task. And I don't know that the people he tasked with that are the best ones or, or only the best ones. I mean, in other words, there should be consultants as well. In any case, um, the government lawyers in this case of these 19 people, uh, 19 Muslims, American citizens represented by CARE, uh, the government lawyers wanted um, that the case, their case to be dismissed. But as I said, instead, the judge granted summary judgment, meaning granted that uh, told, said that these 19 plaintiffs didn't have to prove their case by actually going through a whole trial. Now, um, the government lawyers, some of their arguments for why the case should be dismissed, they said that the plaintiffs lacked standing to bring the case. And they, um, and they urged the judge to defer to the executive branch's decisions, meaning listening to President Trump, because combating terrorism is a national security matter. So this is another example you know, when every time that President Trump, or just about every time that President Trump tries to make some kind of uh, ruling that uh, would protect our country from uh, foreign, <laughs> from people coming into it who might be terrorists, that he gets stymied at um, various federal courts and I mean, some things have gone through or what, what usually happens is that it goes back to court uh, and then the ruling gets modified somewhat, you know, in a, a different case brings it back to court and then it gets changed a bit. But, you know, there, there has been, there have been too many times when uh, courts have decided, have watered down these um, rulings, these, um, laws, rulings, these, these things that, tr that, put, that Trump had put in place to um, protect us from terrorists coming into our country. That's basically it. Um, now, it is true that since 9-11, the, um, 
you know, there this did of course start since 9-11 and um, there, the ways that people get on the list are secretive because that's kind of the whole point. And um, people, it ha they have been attacked by people who are concerned about constitutional rights, imagine. Um, and, and so there has been more and more scrutiny on it. But you know, it, it can't the, in a way it's good that, the, um, that this was dismissed by summary judgment because if there had been a trial, some, a lot of secrets from this watch list would have had to um, have come into the court. You know, a lot of these secrets would have been revealed. Um, so this, this, um, the, now this isn't the first time, this isn't the first judge who has made a ruling similar to this. In 2014, there was a federal judge in Oregon who ruled that the government's use of the no-fly list to bar Americans from boarding planes was unconstitutional. And that caused, this ruling in 2014, caused the Department of Homeland Security to make improvements uh, to its Traveler Redress Inquiry Program procedures. I mean, that's kind of the point. Um, it's not that there is something bad inherently about the terrorist screening watch list, um, but there should, if anything happens, there should be more of an opportunity for people to uh, to inquire. I mean, you know, if they've been stopped at the airport, let's say, there should be an opportunity for them to have more recourse, for them to ask, to find out, to have a say, to have a hearing, um, to find out why it is that they are on this list and to have a chance to get themselves off the list to prove that they shouldn't be on the list. I mean, that's true, but that doesn't mean that the whole watch list should be scrapped. Now, also in 2014, later, this same judge that just uh, did this ruling now was uh, involved in a case where he struck down the use of a no-fly list to keep um, a particular American whose name was Goulet Mohammed from boarding a flight home and um, Goulet Mohammed, so in other words, what he just did recently is not the first time that he's been uh, in favor of trying to diminish the power of the terrorism watch list. Now, um, Goulet Mohammed is a 28-year-old man who was um, uh, naturalized in the United States. He was a United States citizen and he was detained in, in Kuwait, and he had been placed on a no-fly list uh, maintained by the Terrorist Screening Center. He was, he was originally born in Somalia. He came to the U.S. in 1995. He was raised in Alexandria, Virginia by his immigrant parents. Um, then in, he started flying around in 2009. He traveled to Yemen, where he stayed for three weeks, then to his homeland, Somalia, to stay with relatives. He said that the purpose of his trip was to meet his extended family and to study Islam and Arabic. Of course, you know, a lot of terrorists say that. Now, I am not saying that he is a terrorist. I, he did not, has not done anything, and he, he has not perpetrated any terror attacks. I'm just saying that that is what a lot of terror, actual terrorists do say to explain what they're doing in these 
terrorist countries. Um, so then in August 2009, he went to live in Kuwait with his uncle. Then in 2010, he went to the Kuwait airport to renew his visa and he was detained. He was uh, put in jail. He was interrogated about whether he knows Osama bin Laden and Osama bin Laden's followers who uh, there was a, a cleric who had preached in uh, Virginia where he was being raised when he was 10 years old. He was beaten, so deprived of sleep, according to him. And then um, he was taken to a Kuwait deportation facility, FBI agents came. And what they said was, and this is under, his travels raised red flags. And then um, the bottom line is that, you know, he, so they wouldn't let him, he, because he was on the no fly list, um, they wouldn't let him fly back into the U.S. And then he used, um, when, he was in when he was detained, he used another detainee's contraband cell phone, right, to call his family. Who called? Guess who you're going to call? Care. <laughs> Not Ghostbusters. Um, so the, his family sent his older brother to Kuwait, and, um, and the Kuwait government told the family to buy a plane ticket to Washington, and they drove him to the airport, but when he got to the airport, he wasn't allowed to board his flight because he was on the no-fly list. Then Care gave him an attorney, and he was eventually um, allowed to come back. The, uh, this judge, the Judge Trenga, the same judge as we're talking about for the current case, um, Judge Trenga was going to order that he be allowed to return, and before that happened, the federal government said that he could come back. So, only to point out that this Judge Trenga do, does have this history. Now, getting back to the current case, uh, according some some additional facts that Al Jazeera reports are, um, well, first of all, he, they give a, they quote a different care person. The National Litigation Director said, "Care has a half. This is get this. Care has a half dozen other watch list cases pending." So in other words, these 19 plaintiffs um, just paved the way for all these other cases that they hope to bring to continue to uh, water down the terrorism watch list. That is the problem. Um, you know, it's kind of opening up the floodgates. Well, um, we do have to take another break. Obviously, there's a lot to talk about in regard to this topic. When we come back, we will continue. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show. Uh, I'm talking today about the terrorism watch list, which has been watered down a little bit by Judge Trenga. Uh, the, we will see how far when we get to hear what um, the government attorneys and the care attorneys agree upon, which you know, it, I think it's gonna be very difficult for them to agree in the first place. But anyhow, um, just to um, give you a little more information about the terrorist watch list, um, each it, it is it is um, you know it is uh, a little intimidating. There are approximately sixteen hundred nominations of new people, in other words, 
who are suggested every day to be on the watch list. Uh, 1,600 added, or at least nominated to be added, and 600 names removed, and 4,800 records that are modified by the US intelligence community. Um, one out of 20 of the people on the list are US citizens or legal permanent residents. Now, the way that this terrorist screening database uh, is formed, it comes from two primary sources. For international terrorists, it, the information comes from the Terrorist Identities Data Mart Environment, for which, of course, you know, is the central database for international terrorists, man, maintained by the National Counterterrorism Counter Center. And then domestic terrorist information comes from the FBI. And as I was saying earlier, there are a lot of subsets to this terrorist screening database or the terrorist watch list. Uh, and one of these um, subsets is the no-fly list. And in a minute, I'm gonna get to eight ways that you can end up on the no-fly list. But let me just add a little bit about um, the, the uh, um, terrorism watch list. What's interesting is that uh, Omar Mateen, you remember him? <laughs> the terrorist, the ISIS terrorist, well, the terrorist who pledged his loyalty to ISIS and who shot people at the, and killed and injured uh, masses of people at the Orlando nightclub in 2016, was on the list at one time and then removed from it. And another thing to think about, and of course that was a big mistake, you know, he was the one, he was one of the ones who was removed who should have been, shouldn't have been removed. Um, another thing to think about is that it's not just the government, but there are also over 500 private entities that are given access to the list. So it really does, can have far reaching uh, effects. So for example, and they call these private entities law enforcement adjacent. And this would include university security teams, police forces, security forces, and hospitals, railway companies, and even animal welfare organizations. Not quite sure. I guess they don't want to let terrorists adopt their pets. Now, eight ways you can end up on the no-fly list. Things you want to avoid. This is the, um, this is considered the most controversial list in America. Um, there are more than four, as of, as of um, 2013, I guess that's the last, I mean, it, it, in, a, in a report from 2018, it gives uh, figures from 2013 and it states that there are more than 47,000 people who were on the no-fly list as of August 2013. And this includes 800 Americans, um, most of whom don't even know that they're on it. So I mean, of all these lists, the, the basic terrorism watch list and the no-fly list, it really is a relatively small number of American citizens. So that can give you some comfort um, but here are the eight ways, not in any particular, well, 
Well, yeah, I guess it is in a way in order of <laughs> what you might um, expect and in order of severity. Um, so if, um, you know, if, if there was such a thing, if, if the no-fly list sent out letters to citizens saying that they, you are on this list, that would be tipping off potential terrorists and they would have to figure out a way around it. So um, the first, you know, uh, the most obvious way of getting on the, the no-fly list is to be suspected of direct terrorist activity. Um, now, for example, the, uh, the man who tried to bomb a Northwest Airlines flight in 2009 and the man who was convicted of planting a car bomb in Times Square in 2010 were both on the no-fly list, but they managed to board planes anyway. You know, that's another part of it. How, how effective is it, one could question. Um, so obviously people who have been convicted or arrested for acts of terrorism, uh, bombers, hostage takers, assassins, associates of terror groups, any individual who's known or suspected to be or has been knowingly engaged in conduct related to terrorism would be on the no-fly list. Also travel to certain countries, obviously certain frequent trips, like the, I was just talking to you about uh, the man who was going to all kinds of um, terrorist countries. You know, obviously he was, it, it was, that was a red flag and he was on the no-fly list. Then it could be something you said in the past. Um, for example, um, people, oh, someone who, um, uh, there are examples of people who said things, people who were nonviolent political activists said that they ended up on the no-fly list because of things that they had said. And an example of this is former Princeton University professor Walter Murphy. In 2007, he was denied a boarding pass in Newark International Airport, and he suspects it was because of a lecture that he gave that was critical of then-President Bush. And there are some other examples. Then another way you can end up on the list is to have a name that's similar to someone on the no-fly list. So similar in the way your name sounds or in the way it, your name is spelled. And if that is similar to someone who actually should be on the list, you may find yourself also on the list. Um, another way, and, and <laughs> apparently 60 Minutes, I don't remember this, but it, this must have been a good show. I mean, I vaguely actually remember it. Do you remember in 2007, it's going back a ways, 60 Minutes did a show where they brought together a group of people named Robert Johnson who experienced problems flying. And clearly this turned out to be uh, because a man named Robert Johnson had been convicted of plotting to bomb a Hindu temple and a movie theater in Toronto. So the point of their 60 Minutes story, that must have been a lot of fun, but, but they were trying to make a point, uh, presumably about how one's rights can be, um, you know, trampled on by being on the no-fly list. Um, 
so by so by bringing all of these people named Robert Johnson, they were making that point. The fifth way to be on the no-fly list are you taking are you taking notes in case you really want to do this? Uh, the fifth way is not becoming an an informant. Now there was a lawsuit in New York. Um, where four Muslims said that they were put on the no-fly list because they refused to spy for the FBI. And they sued the FBI for damages, and lo and behold, their names were removed. Now, you know, you could kind of, at first you think, well, that doesn't seem fair. They were put on the no-fly list because they didn't want to spy for the FBI. You know, that shouldn't happen. But I guess the idea was they were then thought to be uh, pro-terrorists if they didn't want to spy for the FBI. Again, you know, one could certainly argue that that wasn't there. Six, the number six reason for um, finding yourself on the uh, no-fly list was by, um, by, <laughs> by a clerical error. And there's an example of this, a Stanford University doctoral student, a woman, was put on the no-fly list in 2004. She spent seven years suing, and finally it was found that she was unjustly put on the list because an FBI agent had checked the wrong box on a form. It took seven years for them to figure that out. That's kind of sad. Number seven. Another way to be on the no-fly list is if you have law enforcement issues. Even if you um, aren't suspected of terrorism per se, but you have some other law enforcement issues such as open warrants or other characteristics that um, indicate that you have been involved in criminal activity, even, even if it doesn't have anything to do with aviation security. So this is why some people say that this no-fly list has gone a little too far and um, it is beyond air security and it's become a law enforcement strategy. Okay, now get this. This one will relate, you can relate to this, I can relate to this. And way, number eight way, the eighth way to get on the no-fly list, should you want to do that, is to make, send a controversial tweet. I mean, man, <laughs> one is not safe with tweets these days. Um, social media posts should not be automatically discounted, apparently, when they decide who belongs on the no-fly list. Um, they evaluate whether, you know, the source is credible, whether what you said in the, in the tweet, um, and, um, you know, whether you say something that is anti-American, uh, and so on. Now, you know, it's really, I mean, the social media has become, um, we're, we're like in 1984 or, it, or beyond, um, it's become really, you know, you're putting your, yourself at risk if you use social media. Um, not only may you not, may you find yourself on the no-fly list now, but you know, there are all kinds of other ways apparently that um, social media has been used to um, get people in trouble. And so that's one of them. So if you really wanna get on the no-fly list, 
that might be the easiest way to get yourself on the list. But um, let's face it, nobody wants to get on the list. So now you know, now you have it, the, uh, the ups and downs of being on the terrorism watch list, which includes the no-fly list. And it certainly is something to think about and something we will be hearing more about as these issues come to more courts. Thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. If you would like to find out more about terrorism from me, your terrorist therapist, visit my website, terroristtherapist.com. And if you're a parent or teacher and want to build stronger nests for your kids to become more resilient, check out my new award-winning book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. It's the first and only book about terrorism for kids. You can find it wherever books are sold or directly from the publisher at terrorismforkids.com. Terrorism, the number four, kids.com. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. Thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. We hope listening to the show has made you feel calmer, more resilient, and more able to reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. You can also check out past shows on Renegade Talk Archives for more insights.